Welcome back to another edition of PA High School Football Report. We are powered by Penn Live and perhaps for some of us, slow roast coffee. <laughs> it's Friday. <laughs> it's Friday and we're barreling into week three of the PA football season. Always lots to talk about. But first, a hello to colleague Eric Epler. Ep, how is this glorious Friday going for you? Good, Jenny. It's not glorious outside, but it's glorious <laughs> in the fact that in a few hours, we will be watching another round of high school football, which is always Always sunny, sunny, sunny days. So, yes, it's going well. Yep. Uh, so we're going to pack uh, the second pack podcast away with a lot of football news, get into perhaps maybe one mailbag question, identify a couple of week three games that are big headliners. And I'm also excited for fans to hear from our guest, special guest, Sonia Esses. In case you missed it, Sonia made a bit of history recently by becoming a first, the first female official to work a varsity game inside the Mid-Pen Conference. It's a big deal for a myriad of reasons, and we'll dive into her story to find out what that label means to her. Yeah, Sonia, it was a great, great, great interview with Sonia. I, I was very impressed. Um, I, you know, typically, typically we don't get a chance to talk to the zebras, you know? <laughs> But yeah. um, but but it's very it's a very relevant piece not only uh, for Sonia um, and the Midpen Conference but also the fact that you know uh, the PIAA these days are struggling to find officials uh, right. to find um, particularly younger officials to kind of come up through the ranks and and work the work the freshman games and the junior varsity games to get up to the varsity level. Very and true. Seen, and we've already seen Jana a lot of these games being moved either to Thursday night games, which I'm a big fan of. I love Thursday night football games, but we've also seen some move to Saturday too. So they have enough officials to, to, to get on the field Friday night. You can't, especially in non-conference, you right. have these non-conference games where, you know, the mid pen has 31 teams and you might have 27 football games. To, to you know to cover the entire conference in the first couple of weeks of the season so right so when you look at the numbers and they have 108 yeah there's 108 officials exactly in that chapter of the mid-pen conference so so we'll talk to sonia a little bit about uh about history the history she made and uh and about actually you know moving forward what it means to her and uh and maybe the conference as well maybe she can attract uh you know uh a, a, some more some more officials into the game which would be a which would be a great thing. Jenny, you saw a pretty good, uh, a pretty good Boiling Springs team uh, in your, in your travels on Friday. Talk a little bit about the bubblers. Yeah, the bubblers were a dynamic team. There's no doubt about it. They've worked out several kinks already in week two, but I do have to say you and I were talking a little offline, Joey Menke and Aiden Metzger. I mean, they just totally didn't disappoint their running game. They made it look easy. Um, I, I wouldn't want to try to stop them. Both of them just dropped the hammer and found the end zone. Yeah. These coach Zell has done a tremendous job there. Um, you know, it's often difficult when you're in that, when you're in the mid classifications, meaning three, a and four, a sometimes it's hit or miss. I mean, we all know high school football is cyclical. You know what I mean? You, you get, you get good classes of kids and maybe a, maybe a, a strong class where you have a 20, 25 senior, you know, seniors in the class. Um, and then maybe you have a drop off for the next couple of years while it kind of replenish while the program sort of replenishes itself. Right. Sometimes in that, when you get that three, a four, a tweeners, it's, it's, it's even more pronounced that, you know, cyclical nature of, of the game. 
But Cosell's done a really good job. He gets max effort out of every kid that plays there. And, you know, it was interesting about a few years ago when they started getting the taste for victory more consistently. And just, yeah. it, just from the program sort of building, you know, feeding off itself. Um, it, it, they got a taste for winning and now it's, now it, then they're a tough out. Now, you know, all these guys are really tough. They love to play the game and, uh, and it's showing. I mean, they've had two great, two great performances so far and they're going to be yeah, a 35 zero. Yeah. And Bermuda Springs is traditionally a team too. We talked about this before the show is, you know, when, when we had four classifications, Bermuda Springs was always in the two A playoffs. Always. You would always see Trinity in the two A playoffs. You would always see Bermuda Springs in the two A playoffs. And they were always a tough out. Um, I certainly didn't expect 35, nothing. I think we all had boiling Springs, uh, you know, getting the win there, but 35, nothing says a lot. I think says a lot more about Boiling Springs right now and, and the direction they're headed. So uh Bermudian yeah. has speed on their team. They definitely do. It's just that they couldn't match the defense. It just they couldn't get around them. They couldn't find a way to knock, you know, get past them. Yeah. And obviously uh Mankey and Metzger are two two big reasons for that as well. I mean, both two A guys and both two A aces. So it's yeah, it's gonna be fun to see how that how how the rest of the season shakes out for them. Um, I was lucky enough that listen, I'm not, I'm not toting my own horn here, but I'm just saying, I don't think there is a sports writer in the history of mankind. I, now I don't know when sports writing became official. You know what I mean? Roman empire. I don't know. Camelot. Somebody, I don't know. I don't know. There somebody had to be tracking who was the top archers back in the day. You know what I mean? Way back. So I don't know when it, this, when it actually became a job, sports writing, but I don't think anybody was lucky enough to cover two historic moments for two proud programs back-to-back Friday night and then approximately 14 hours later. Little applause. Yeah, thank you very much. I appreciate it. Yeah, that. you're welcome. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I accept all donations, trophies, whatever. But Friday night uh, at The Rock uh, in the suburbs, Mr. McDevitt took out Middletown very easily, 55-7 to win the program's 600 victory overall, which is which is amazing. But yeah. even more amazing is on Saturday, Steel High, high atop Steelton at Cottage Hill, historic Cottage Hill. Steel High wins over Belmont Charter, 61-6 to for program number win 800, which uh-huh. only four other schools, four other high schools in Pennsylvania have reached that 800 mark. Now I do need to say something. And I talked to steel high about this last, last year about how are the, the official quote unquote official record for them was not an 800 just yet, but there, there are reasons for this. Um, and steel high has kept very good history on them. Um, but way back when, when steel high started this football campaign, the year was 1894, Jana. 1894. I don't know. You are taking us way back. Yeah. I don't know when the, uh, what was the hit single back then? I don't know. what. (laughs) I don't know what the hot Christmas toy was back then. I do not. They were playing football at Steel High. They were one of the earliest to to have an organized football team. Um, And then flash forward about 50 years. uh, We had a, we had a professor at Penn state who made it his hobby and, and slash his sort of passion then about collecting records 
and for every Pennsylvania college football team to start. Mm-hmm. And then he expanded it to high school. And then later on, he would expand it to Pennsylvania and New Jersey high schools. But he basically researched um, everybody's record. Every high school football team, he tracked those records. They have become the benchmark for what we call official records for these teams. Uh, Dr. Roger Saylor was his name. He was a Penn State professor uh, 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 of statistics and economics. Um, and 1940s when he started this research. So um, his records basically are still are still archived at Penn State Library. Uh, it's 6,700 files. So it's a big, big block of information. That's impressive. Yeah, we used to have dot matrix. I don't know if you're old enough, but we used <laughs> to have dot matrix printer um, things on this uh, on these in the office on Market Street with every school, every high school in Pennsylvania and their record. So anyway, uh, Doc Sailors obviously did not count the, some of the early games that Steel High played against. Steel High routinely played these pickup games with just teams, you know, put together teams that, like they played members of the Railroad Association. They played members, uh, I think alumni, things like that. So that's where the discrepancy is. So anyway. Um, dating back, congratulations to Steel High for 800. Congratulations to McDevitt for 600. I was happy to be part of both of those milestone moments. Very cool. So let's get into our special guest, Jana, this week. Uh, we mentioned him in the promo. Sony, Sonia Esses uh, made some history. We were lucky enough to catch up with Sonia uh, for a little bit and talk about how her first couple of steps went in the Mid-Pen Conference. And um, let's hear from her. Thanks again for joining us on the PA High School Football Report. I'm Jana Benskoder alongside my colleague, Eric Epler. Football has been seen as a man's game, a man's sport since its inception. But in recent years, we've watched as women have started to become part of the norm. Women are not only coaching, but they are also calling the shots. Sonia Esses, a member of the Capital Area Football Association, locally has just made Mid-Pen football history, being the first woman in its conference to officiate a varsity football game on September 3rd. It's great to have you with us today, Sonia. How'd the game go? Well, to be honest, it was fun. I had a great time. I absolutely loved it. Uh, I loved the teams. Um, The fans were great. And um, the other officials were just amazing. So is there any indication, did your game assigner, did he indicate that he'd be giving you any additional uh, fall football games? I'm already assigned this weekend on Friday night. I'm at Susquehanna against Camp Hill. So uh, you and I had the opportunity to talk in August, and I got to hear about your story. Your, uh, was, it was published on penlive.com. Um, There are currently 108 officials in the Capital Area Football Association, you being the only woman. Uh, Mm -hmm. Tell us a little bit about how that started, your journey began, because as you told me, you don't just walk out onto a varsity football game. Oh, there's no way you could just walk out on a game. But um, a few years ago, I was the president of a youth football league in this area, and um, the coaches we're always yelling at the officials and I just needed to know who was right, whether it was the officials or whether it was the coaches. So um, one of the officials, a longtime 
uh, gentleman that I knew just from the game. He said, why don't you get the books? So I ordered the, uh, the officiating books. They were really hard to read. So I would ask tons of questions. And um, then I said, well, how can I learn more? And um, one of the guys said, we offer this free class. You can learn the rules. I said, sign me up. So I signed up and took the class and was learning a lot. And at the end of the class, one of the guys said, why don't you take the test? So I took the test. And a few years down the road, and I'm here doing varsity football. Um, the, the process for PIAA though, like um, I'm also an official, so I understand that you have to pass this administered test. Um, like explain the test, I guess a little bit. And then also once you pass the test, what happens next? Well, the test, um, they offer the free class. The free class goes over everything in the book um, from what you need to wear to rule administration. Um, and then once you do take the PIAA exam, you pass the test, you need a 70 or 72 or something like that to pass. Um, once you do that, you have to upload all of your clearances. Um, you then become part of the chapter in your local area. Um, you have to go to a rules meeting. Um, there's all of these requirements that you must do and actually complete before you can actually step foot on the field. So I wanted to ask you too, um, this process seems very long. Do you, do you understand going in uh, that this process may take years and years and years to get to the varsity level? Yes, you are told that right away. Um, uh, learning the rules and taking the test is one thing, but learning the mechanics and looking and knowing the part, the part that you need to be on the field is a whole other part of it. Um, so that does take some time um, before you're, before you're self-qualified to be out on the field. My first year officiating, there's no way I could have done a varsity game. There's absolutely no way. I'm in my fourth year and just getting a varsity game, um, that's an accomplishment in itself. Um, some guys can do it in two years. Some guys can do it in three. Uh, I wasn't ready, but now this year I was ready. So I, I got to I got to believe that most people don't know how technical uh, it is, even though even though the function of being an official screams technical, but yeah. certain judges, side judge, back judge, top official, things like that, mm -hmm. you are looking for specific things. But also, and correct me if I'm wrong, you're also looking at the entire play. You're you're also you know I mean like the side judge is not just looking you know, to make sure the team is behind the line and things like that and touchdowns and things, you know, you're also looking at things like holding and, and all you're looking at everything, but sent like localized. Is that, is that accurate to say? That is um, each official in the field has their specific job that they need to do. Um, like the, the headlinesman, he's the gentleman that stands with the chain crew. Right. He's also, he's responsible for the chain crew uh, he's responsible for um, penalty administration, um, walking off the yardage. 
Uh, he's also in charge of making sure that there's a clean snap, um, like things that happen at the snap, like a false start. He's responsible for that as well. Um, he has a key that he needs to watch to make sure that uh, as soon as the snap and his key releases, he needs to make sure that he's looking at that key um, to make sure nothing goes wrong with that player. Um, then he's responsible for his sideline. He's also responsible for a play that comes in his direction. Um, he's also responsible for helping out any other uh, official on the field that um, if that official pulls a flag, um, he needs to make sure that he uh, is going in. I say he. Right, we, actually, yeah. <laughs> we go in and make sure, you know, that that, that was a proper flag, that was, you know, um, that it's going to be administered um, properly as well. So there's um, each individual official has their individual responsibilities, but also as a team that they're all doing the right thing. We're talking with Sonia Esses, who made uh, mid-pen history, first female uh, official, uh, football official. Does that, does the weight of that, how, how does that feel? Like, is, is it a good feeling? It's just like, ah, you know, I'm, I'm ready for this. It's not a big deal now. How does the weight of that feel? I have to say that during my first game, I was so nervous. <laughs> um, not just being a female, but representing the chapter that took all of this time, these four years to train me, to take me under their wing, um, I wanted to be a good representative of the chapter that has been so good to me. And that I think weighed more than just being a female on, uh, on the field. Um, because you just don't, they couldn't have just thrown me into a game and said, hey, she's the first female, let's, let's throw her into a game. Right. I had to be ready as an official to be put in that game. They had to be, they had to know that I was going to do a good job or I wouldn't have been out on the field. Exactly. So at earning my stripes and earning a varsity game is a huge accomplishment for not just me, but for anybody, male, female, that is a huge accomplishment to get your first varsity game. And I take it very seriously to be, and to be honored to be out on the field with those guys. So according to uh, the PIAA, there are currently 21 women officials across the state, uh, Sonia being one of them in the mid-pen chapter. The majority of them, you're going to find them in the Philadelphia area. I was looking this up. There are four in that in District 12. And then in District 4, there is zero. So it's the only one right now out of the 12 districts that do not have a female um, umpire. And that is District 4 is Bradford Columbia, Lycoming, Montour, Northumberland, Snyder, Sullivan, Tioga, and Union County. So if there are any women out there, even men, uh, either or gender listening, uh, you can hear Sonia's story and how she became an official. If you're interested, that you have to pass the PIAA administered test and then go through some paperwork before you actually get on the turf. Um, so Sonia, also going forward, what would you like to tell people about becoming an official and like the need for them currently right now? There's a, there's a climate in football, maybe a misconception that women aren't warmly welcomed. When you and I spoke again, her story can be found on penlive.com um, as the first female official in MidPen. You said that you were warmly welcomed by the association. Tell us a little bit about that. 
Oh, um, there's never been anything negative with me being in, in, in the chapter. Uh, the guys were very welcoming. Everyone, any question I ever had, they've always answered it. Um, I've had no pushback from anyone ever. And I just feel like I'm one of the guys. I feel like I'm part of the team. I feel, I feel I'm part of the brotherhood. Um, and now I'm a, I'm a sisterhood of one <laughs> with the brotherhood. Um, but it's just a, a great organization, um, arms wide open. They have taken their time to train me. They have taken uh, their time to answer all of my questions. They've been very inviting. It's, it's fantastic. And anyone who, male or female, that ever thought about it should do it. Anyone who played football and wants to get back in the game, great opportunity. Anyone who has ever coached and thought, man, I need to get back into the game again, become an official. It is a totally different perspective of the game. And anyone sitting there thinking, ah, you know what? I know the rules and I know football. No. <laughs> you will learn so much when you become an official. It is crazy. Like I thought I knew the game. Nope. I knew just a very small portion. Well, I got to go ahead. Tell, I'm sorry. I, I'm just so glad I did it. I, I got to tell you, I think you have, it, it's, it is a calling. I, I truly believe it's a calling. Um, but I, I do believe once that you get into it, like almost organically as you, at you got into it, um, it can become that. But it was something I read in Janice's story uh, that they had earlier on you um, about how that one thing out of a thousand that you do wrong, people will call you out. And that's how, Oh yeah. it's very <laughs> similar to sports writing. I'm just saying you can write, yeah. you could write a hundred beautiful features and, but you get a game time wrong on a schedule with 1000 games. And that's exactly what they call you out on. So oh, you yeah. almost so you almost have to be perfect, and 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 that's that's hard to do. I understand it. So I feel oh, yeah. you. I, obviously, I want to wish you congratulations too. Yes, uh, I didn't get a chance to. I, I didn't want to bother you again. Uh, I saw you with the Milton Hershey scrimmage. Yep. I saw you working there, prepping for the season. Didn't want to bother you. Didn't want to get in your way. Didn't want to get a flag thrown on me. So I just, <laughs> you know, I stayed away. But congratulations. Um, best of luck to you. Uh, for the remainder of the season, I know we'll be seeing you out there on the field here. Again, you got a game. I, I, I do want to ask, though, I know you have to be objective, completely objective, which is another similarity to sports writing, but you have to have a football team you root for, right? What What is it? College and pro, I want to know. Oh, my gosh. Actually, <laughs> no. I, I have to say that I will watch every college football game out there. You know, being from central Pennsylvania, you know, Penn State. Um, but I'll watch every college game. And um, in NFL, I really don't have a team, but I do love Chucky. <laughs> See, you had me. You had me until that. You had me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I so do really like him. So, yeah. 
That's all right. All right. I'll get all right. We'll let you pass on this one. Okay. Thank you. Thank you very much. Jana. Yeah, Sonia, congratulations. Uh, we're really appreciative of your time that you've spent with us today explaining uh, the process and that it's not as daunting as maybe it appears and that you know you don't have to be sitting on your couch to yell at the TV to say, here's the call. You can actually go out and do it on your own uh, turf nearby. So um, best of luck to you in the season. Thanks again for your time um, and thanks for joining us. Thank you. Thank you, Sonia. I'm Jana Benskoder and I'm with Eric Epler. We just spoke to Sonia Esses, a true trailblazer for women in football in Central PA. Ep, what else you got? Well, I tell you what, let's let's dive into a couple quick games uh, around the state that um, that we're going to be looking at here. We try to identify ones that are kind of going to mean something here um, to not only not only district playoffs, but maybe some of these teams are going to creep in um, when we're talking about PIAA playoffs will start obviously right around mid-November. So uh, another, I'm going back to Lehigh Valley again, because there's always, there's always intrigue there. Uh, Nazareth 2-0 at Parkland 1-0. This is a huge matchup in the EPC, the Eastern Pennsylvania Conference. Both are contenders. Uh, Parkland entered the state rankings this week at number 10 in 6A. Uh, Nazareth actually in local Lehigh Valley circles are, uh, is actually, um, is actually ranked slightly ahead of Parkland. So, uh, but we won't fault them for that. <laughs> Not that I'm correct. But anyway, that's a huge one. Another one, uh, York High at Coatesville. Uh, York High, obviously, 0-1. It's been 13 days since York High took the field. Uh, they dropped their opener to Governor Mifflin uh, by a ton of points. Now, that's no shame there. Governor Mifflin is an absolute hammer. But, uh, yeah. you know, Coach, Coach Russ Stoner at William Penn is going to want to get Right back to feeding Jaheim White, their, their star running back. But you've got contrasting styles here. Coatesville 2-0, and uh, they got a rising dual threat junior quarterback in Harrison Soucy. Um, so I'm looking at that one, too. Saturday, the big matchup uh, to me, Imhotep Charter. They're my number one in 5A um, and LaSalle College High School, which McDevitt people know about, and that 21-0 win over the Crusaders in week one. LaSalle is number eight and 6A. That game's 2 p.m. Imhotep is now taking down Pittsburgh Central Catholic and Maryland's DeMatha Catholic so far, and they've allowed 16 total points in doing it. That is super, super impressive. The Explorers, meanwhile, 2-0, victories over that. McDevitt squad and Malvern Prep, seven total points allowed in that double up. So that is going to be a fantastic matchup, 2 o'clock on Saturday. Good stuff. All right. There's a lot of football there to watch. So um, as we're closing out our second episode of the PA High School Football Report, I had asked Eb if I could say a few words about the 20th anniversary of 9-11. This report was created with players in mind, a way to share your stories and talk about your excellence, both on and off the field. Many of you were just a dream in your parents' hearts or a smaller piece of a bigger picture that had yet to come into focus 20 years ago. September 11th, 2001 is an event you'll hear or learn about in the classroom. Historical events can stir emotions for millions who were either directly affected or indirectly connected to the fabric of America's story. Our story is always evolving just like the recent history you've all experienced with the COVID-19 pandemic. You've understandably felt a spectrum of emotion. 
Those same feelings have been felt this week and are going to be felt on the 20th anniversary of the September 11th terrorist attacks. Feeling emotion is not a bad thing. It's what gets you up in the morning. It's what pushes you to show up on the field and it's what creates your life's story. 20 years ago, the last thing I thought I'd be doing would be working as an editorial assistant for the Boston Globe and filling in as the obituary writer. I had been working at the Globe for nearly three years when my former boss asked me to fill in for the Globe's obituary writer for two weeks while he was on vacation. I know that neither she nor I knew that those two weeks would be life-defining. I was to fill in as the obit writer starting Monday, September 10th. The morning of September 11th, when I left my apartment in Jamaica Plain and began driving to the Globe's former location on Morrissey Boulevard, NPR was reporting that the tallest buildings in Boston were being evacuated that there was something about an airplane and the Twin Towers in New York. It was unclear what was happening, but a commercial airplane had possibly hit the North Tower. And then the South Tower was hit. America was under attack by terrorists who hijacked four airplanes and used them as weapons. The gravity of what was happening struck even the most veteran of veteran reporters. For the following two weeks, I wrote no fewer than 200 obituaries about the passengers, and the crews, as well as Massachusetts residents who either worked in New York City or had moved to New York City to become first responders. The stories have stayed with me for 20 years. Every year I wrestle with my own emotions. At times they can be jarring and creep up to the surface, surprising even me about how I feel regarding these strangers who I feel so connected to. There will be a lot of news coverage regarding 9-11 the imagery can become overwhelming. My hope is that whatever you feel that day, that you're not afraid to talk about it. The people in the airplanes, they had stories and families much like yours. They had inside jokes and imperfect relationships, as well as hopes and dreams and aspirations. We are ending the podcast on a somewhat somber note to remind you that life can change in an instant. We're still navigating our way through a pandemic. But for every moment you get the chance to chase your passion, remember that someone else cannot. Help your parents do good in school, reach for dreams, support someone in need. When you are given another day, what are you going to do with it? Janet, thank you so much for those powerful words. Uh, we certainly appreciate it. And uh, that'll do it for this edition of PA High School Football Report. Get out there and enjoy the game, enjoy the weekend, and enjoy time with your family. Um, tell your parents you love them. All right. That'll do it. Jana, thanks so much. We appreciate it. And uh, we'll see everybody next week.